Ephesians chapter 6. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, uh, we're going to put the text up on the screen. Uh, only four verses today, but we do have quite a bit to, uh, to work through. We're, we're talking about parents and, and children this morning, which is fortunate for me because I've been a child my whole life and uh, eight years ago became a parent. And I realized that really doesn't make me an expert. Um, and, and in fact, it's a, it's a huge challenge. I was thinking about this passage and the passage that we've worked through recently with the guys who have had to teach on uh, husbands and wives and, and things like that. And I was like, this is tough because our wives actually go to church here with us and they have to listen to us talk about this stuff. Um, so you get to listen to me as I preach to myself this morning. It's important to know where we are in the letter as well. So if you're just kind of bombing in on us and, and as we're working through Ephesians, um, Ephesians chapter one through three, this is all of what God has done for us and extended towards us in love. That's how Paul sets up this letter to the church. So he's taken us through the forgiveness, the healing, the adoption, God making us children uh, of him. This is what he's done. This is what he's doing through the work of Jesus to all who would believe. And that really is what you have to understand as we're pressing towards the end of Ephesians and get into these principles that the good news of Ephesians is before you do anything that God calls you to do, you first receive from God what he has done on, on your behalf. And it's important that you have that in your mind as we work through the last half of this letter. And, and, and once you've been brought into the family and forgiven and adopted and redeemed and loved, and once I'm in it, now Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 this morning, it tells us how we walk it out. And that's kind of the key verb in the end of this letter is walking it out. In chapter 5, Paul says, now walk in wisdom. Wisdom is understanding the complexities of the world, and it's having competency in those complexities. And Paul's going to open up the umbrella of wisdom as it pertains to how we engage in these foundational and fundamental relationship. And Paul lays out for us and has been laying out for us these beautiful uh, roles that are meant to display the wisdom of God. That is, those who have authority, those who have power, and use that authority and use that power in love. And Paul's saying, if you use these principles, this is how you flourish under, under God. And what we're going to see this morning is really that there's principles that hold up in every stage of life. So whether you are a parent or yet to be a parent, um, you're going to see there's something that's here for you this morning. Let me pray and, and just ask God briefly to help us with this. Father, thank you for um, really already what you've blessed us with this morning, God, an opportunity to, to sing and to make much of you, God, an opportunity for thanksgiving at how you have been so generous to us and give us the opportunity to then turn, be a blessing to others, to be generous to others. So God, thank you for that. And um, God, we don't see that as a burden. We truly see that as a joy. And uh, God, we ask for even more, more opportunities to give of ourselves, God, because that's how we make you known, Jesus, in our world. And Father, as we come to this text now, 
I just pray for help, Holy Spirit. I pray that you would control me in this moment. I pray that you'd cover me, God. I pray for your protection. God, I pray for your help. Uh, illuminate the scriptures so these aren't just words on a page to us, but God, so that they cut into uh, our very hearts and, and God, that we uh, fall more in love with you and God, are leave more encouraged about the roles that you have for us. And all of it, Jesus, we want to display you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 6 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, if you're like me, a lot of times you'll read that verse and you immediately try to find ways like, how do I get out from underneath this text? Like, how, what's the caveat that I can have in there? Because it's saying children, so maybe that's, this is a verse for like little kids. This should be like in children's church or Sunday school or something like that. But what's interesting is that the word children there, it's not necessarily pertaining to age. It's talking about relationship. It's also used in the Bible to talk about adult children. So it's talking to all of us. And the word obey doesn't really give us a whole lot of wiggle room either, because if you dive down to the original meaning of the word obey, it means to do what someone tells you to do. So we don't, we don't have a whole lot of room to get out from underneath this, this verse. And Paul says, in the Lord, meaning in the spirit of what Christ has done, obey your mom and dad. So Paul is talking about relationships that are rooted in the idea that given what Christ has done for you, that's why the first three chapters are so important to, to read before you head into this, but given what we've seen that Christ has done for us, we now want to reflect Jesus by submitting ourselves to the people in our lives. It's talking about submitting yourself to God, not just your parents, because that is the reflection of a heart that has been brought to life by the power of Jesus and by the grace of the work of God in our lives. So some people, when they read in the Lord, they will see that as a, as a kind of restriction on the parent's authority. And, and the Bible is clear. If a parent asks you to disobey God or break the laws of the government under the laws of God, you don't have to follow that. Or, or if they are in any way being abusive or harmful to you, you don't have to submit to that. You you get out of that. But the reality is that in the Lord is not meant so much to be a restriction on the parent's authority or a way for you to find a way out from underneath the parents. It's meant to be a motivation for your obedience. In the Lord is meant to be a motivation for your obedience. And Paul's saying, obey them in the Lord as a function of worship. I obey these parents that he's put under me. A, a, a child is to recognize that I, I, God has created structures that we are meant to operate within. And so as a function of honoring God, as a function of worship, I honor the structure that he has built, namely that there are parents above me and that fulfill a role that God has created. God says, look, I, 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 it makes no sense for you to gather together and sing to me and disobey your parents. And he says, well, why, why do I have to obey my parents? He says, for this is right. Paul's saying, this is the appropriate thing to do. And, and he's quoting the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments here in verse 2 and 3. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And then in verse 3, he says, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. He, he says, honor your parents, regardless of your age, put a high value on the institution of, what it, of mother and, and father. And it's a command God tells us to, but he's going to tie a promise to it. He says, if you hold these people and their position in high regard, it will go well with you. 
and it's good for you to do it. Those are the reasons that Paul's giving for obeying and honoring parents. It'll go well with you, and it's the right thing to do. When he says you'll, you'll live long, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to live to be 100, but he's talking about the quality of life. If you honor parents, you're going to have a better quality of life. Now, the context that Paul's pulling this out of is in the Old Testament when God freed his people from slavery out of Egypt, and, and they were just kind of this random grouping of people, and they were in wandering the desert, and God says, okay, you're going to need rules and laws and regulations. You're going to need a way to function as a nation, and I'm going to set you up that's going to show other nations what it looks like for, for, for you to follow me, for you to follow God, the one true God, Yahweh. And so he, he gives them there and he says, look, you're going to have structure and, you're going to, and, and there's going to be a, a foundation for a flourishing nation. It's not necessarily going to be senators or presidents or governors. It's going to be the family. And God says, I'm going to build these things called families and the mother and the father are going to have authority. And as they exercise that authority in the context Context of love, raising up children, the nation will flourish to the degree that those roles are honored and respected. He says, You're going to live in the land and you're going to do well there. You'll flourish there to the degree that you hold these institutions of families and parents in high regard and respect them out. You live out your life. So, Paul pulls that truth into the New Testament. He says, Look, that principle is about that nation, but it's true of all of us. We flourish to the degree that we value those who hold this role of parent. The, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services it released a report that said the number of two-parent families that live under the poverty line is 11%. So the number of families where there are two parents that live under the poverty line in the United States is 11%. Then they looked at single-parent homes. So uh, mom, no dad. The percentage below the poverty line is 47.5%. When you dishonor this institution, it doesn't go well with you. The nation hurts. And if you look at all the data, and there's a ton of data out there, it's staggering to see the correlation between the breakdown of the family and increase in things like drug abuse, suicide rates, decrease in educational achievement, increase of school dropout rates, earlier sexual debut of children. All of these horrible things that are hurting our nation are tied directly to the breaking down of this institution. And, and to the children, research has shown that healthy parent-child relationships are linked to lower levels of depression, higher self-esteem, higher levels of intimacy in romantic relationships in later years. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm a teenager, I don't really want to respect my parents, I don't really want to honor my parents, what the data is saying is that people who get along with their parents tend to do better uh, in life and feel better about themselves. And what all of this is saying is that scientists that are gathering data about families are coming to this conclusion that when children obey and honor their parents, it seems that it goes well with them and that they live long in the land. Okay, so what does obey look like? The, the word obey in Greek, it's a combination of two words. It means to listen and it means under, right? So I'm under your authority and I listen to you. I hear and I'm under your hearing, you have to choose, as a, as a child, you have to choose if you obey to say, I want to hear your heart. I want to hear your heart. I want to know why you're saying what you're saying to me. I, I want to live under what I'm hearing you say. 
I submit to the authority of God who has put my parents with authority over me. As a child, you're, you know, like, okay, my heart is prone to wander. My heart is not to choose to do the right thing. And so I trust uh, that unless you tell me to do something that contradicts the character or the word of God, I submit to your guidance and protection because I know ultimately God has put you in authority and protection over me. So if I want to obey, the first thing I need to do is I need to listen attentively, meaning when my parents talk to me, I actually listen. I might even look them in the eye when they, when they talk to me, right? I lean into, I step into, I stop and consider, you know what? They've actually lived through this era that I'm in right now. They might know what they're talking about. It's an amazing moment in the life of a child, usually around college, when you kind of realize like, my parents know some things. They, they like really know what they're talking about. And, and obedience means I'll listen responsibly to my parents. I'll have an inclination in my life to do what they say. Now, I totally understand that some of us, we hear that and we're like, okay, but if I have to live listening to my parents, what about my own life? What about the things that I want to do, the things that I want to accomplish? If I have to obey my parents, it might threaten my individuality, my autonomy, my ability to live my own life. I get that. But let me, let me just kind of propose something to you. Jesus Christ had a pretty significant identity and a pretty significant purpose in his life. Messiah saving the world. And when he was 30 years old, he goes to a wedding with his mom. And mom comes up to him and says, hey, they're all out of wine. Can you do something? Can you, can you help out? And Jesus, in that moment, now he's 30 years old, he doesn't say, no, mom, leave me alone. I'm 30 years old. Back off, right? He does tell her, that's how Jesus talked. He, he, <laughs> he does say, it's not yet my time. He says, there's a timetable to my life, so I, 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 I'm, it's not time to re- reveal myself as Messiah. Um, but he does find a way as a 30-year-old man to keep his messianic purpose and still honor and obey his mom. If you remember the story, he kind of pulls off the miracle. He just does it in secret, right? Gets a couple guys, hey, go fill those jugs with water. They fill the jugs with water. Where'd this wine come from? It's amazing. Like, and so he's able there, again, to honor and obey his mom and still maintain his purpose. So children are to obey and honor. The word honor, it means to ascribe worth or value to something. It means I honor my parents, even if the people filling the role didn't do a great job. As a son or daughter, you have the opportunity to assign value to your parents that nobody else in the world can, can do. You can assign value to them that, that's greater than anything that they would get in a job promotion or a like on social media or recognition from a, a neighbor or a, a friend. That's an opportunity and a privilege that you have as a son or daughter. Honor looks like two things. First, it's speaking graciously. Speaking graciously. So even if I disagree with my mother or father, even if I disagree, I speak to authority in my life with kindness and respect. Even if it feels like they don't understand the context that I'm in. You go to them, not in a defiant, parents just don't understand, Fresh Prince, DJ Jazzy Jeff, but in a humble, you know what I'm saying? Okay, me and Cruz. Uh, But in a humble, allow me to share my perspective and heart kind of way. If, if you need to push back, 
Because parents, just, they, don't, they don't understand the context of what's happening. You do it in a way that honors and respects them. I hope, honestly, that this is something that my kids will do someday. So, so being, a, being a pastor and, and working with young adults, and a lot of times when I do premarital counseling or coaching, uh, one of the things that we run up into all the time is that a lot of our pain and a lot of our issues comes from our parents. It's just, it's just reality. A lot of things that have happened in kind of our first formation, these first kind of 18 years. So I look at that in my life as a parent, I'm like, there, there seems like there's like a hundred percent chance I'm going to screw up my kids on some level. So my hope is that when I do mess up in this high calling of parenting, that my kids will come to talk to me about how they feel about something that I did or a mistake that I made, and that they will graciously give me an opportunity to explain and ask for forgiveness. I hope that, that I am having redemptive conversations with my kids when I mess it up. Honor is speaking graciously to, to one another. It's also speaking gratefully of one another. So, so as a child... Uh, obey and honor. I'm listening attentively with an inclination to do what they say. And when I speak to them, I'm speaking graciously and I speak gratefully of them. I'm grateful for them. Like if we had a, donor, uh, if we had a, a dinner in your honor, what would we do? We would all stand up and we'd say, oh, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for what you did. I'm thankful for, for this. And now I know as soon as I get into that, some of you, you're, you're thinking, okay, my deepest pain comes from my parents. And I'm not minimizing that. I'm not saying just skip over the fact that they hurt you because some of your parents were and are jacked up. That's legit. Some of your parents hurt you and what they left on you is not a legacy of unconditional love of God, of your potential and your possibility and your beauty. Some of your parents left on you the sense of I'm never gonna be good enough. I'll I'll never meet the standard or I'm unwanted. Some of them hurt you mentally and emotionally and physically. That, that's real. And so I'm not just pushing that aside. I'm not just blowing past that. I'm not minimizing that. Because, but, but what is also real is that Christ suffered for you so that you can be alive forever in him. He did choose you. He did not harm you, but was harmed for you. He did not abuse you, but he was abused for you. He is the perfect expression of what a father's love looks like to his children. It it doesn't negate the fact that you have a very difficult story. It just means that you have another story. And in that story, you have the power of God taking up residence in your life. So our starting point with Christ is not all the brokenness of our family history. Our starting point today is in Christ is that we have a brand new relationship with God in which we are loved, accepted, approved, chosen, prized by God. None of our parents are perfect. You speaking gratefully, you honoring your parents is not telling them they're perfect. You're finding something in them that you can honor, not everything else that you cannot honor. And in every parent, there is, there is something, even if it's only one thing that you can be thankful for. And it doesn't mean that I condone all the rest of it. It just means that it's washed under the blood of Jesus Christ. It means that God's mercy and grace has triumphed over our sin and rebellion. And now as I stand in that mercy and grace, I can show mercy and grace to those who have sinned against me. I am not trapped by what was broken in the past. I'm being set free by what is perfect in the future. So, so this call is not asking you to minimize the pain because you can look at it and you can say, that hurt. And, and, that, and that's wrong. And, it, and yes, it is. But, but what honoring allows you to do is say, 
there is the possibility you can look at that relationship and say, my parents did give me some of these things that I can be grateful for. And, and, and I know even with all of that, some of you say, I, I just don't see it. I, can't, I think, can't think of one thing. The, the word parent in, in the Greek is derived from, um, it's derived from the word that means to come into existence. So there's one thing, there's one thing you can, you can thank them for. Steve Jobs, um, founder, CEO, Apple, before he died, he went and found his, his birth mom. And an interviewer asked him about this and, and said to him, you know, I know you reached out, you went and you found your birth mom. You know, why would you do that? She wasn't in your life at all. She was never in the picture. Why would you feel like you had to go and reach out to her and go find her? And he says, well, I had to go find her so I could thank her. And the interviewer says, thank her for what? I mean, she was never around. She, uh, she abandoned you. She, she gave you up. And he said, I wanted to thank her for not aborting me because I'm thankful to be alive. And I know that she was a young mom and I know that she was unmarried and I know that there was all kinds of pressure around her to end it. And I'm just thankful that she didn't. Well, Steve was a mess in a lot of areas of his life, but that was a good thing that he did that. Here's one more thing. The U.S. Department of Agriculture released a report that said raising a child to the age of 18 in the United States without factoring in the cost of college is around $250,000. So if you're a kid in here and you're like, what do my parents ever do for me? Well, just, <laughs> just ask yourself, who have I ever dropped a quarter of a million dollars on in my life? Probably a small list. The last thing to, just before we kind of move on to parents here in a second, is um, it's very typical as an older, you know, as you go, now as a parent, I'm way more thankful for my parents than when I was a teenager. You know, I was a teenager and I was like angry for some reason, I, like whatever, you know, but now as a parent, I'm super thankful for, for my parents. And if you're a teenager in the room, let me just encourage you import the thankfulness for your parents that usually comes later in life into your present. If, if, if you show thankfulness for your parents now, especially if your parents are, are not believers, they're not Christians, and you're trying to witness to your parents, you're trying to show your parents Jesus, if you're thankful for them now and you express that gratitude to them now, I promise you, your parents will rise up and say, there is a God in this world, um, truly, because that is a very atypical response. Let me just kind of Encourage you with that. Okay, parents, we gotta, we gotta move quickly. Verse four, Paul says this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. In the ESV, if you're reading out of that, it says, don't provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. So Paul is now aiming at the dads and he's saying, I want you to take the lead on caring for these kids. And, and the way that you do that is don't exasperate or don't provoke them to anger. There, there's two ways that, parent, that fathers specifically can provoke their children to anger. First is by being overbearing. A commentator describes it like this, excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, unfairness, constant nagging, condemnation, humiliation, a constant pressure to achieve, impatience. That's what it looks like to be overbearing. Paul's saying, fathers, don't push your kids to the brink. There's a way to get under the skin of your kids and needle at things and push buttons. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Paul's saying, have the compassion and the kindness and patience on your children that your heavenly father is having on you today. God isn't pushing buttons. He's gently walking with us. 
So one way of provoking a child to anger is by being overbearing. The second is by disappearing, by being absent. Some people in the name of maybe just not being a helicopter parent or maybe just because of work or professional things, they just totally disconnect from their child's life and that's equally painful. There was a study out of McGill University where they actually studied the neurobiology of a child's brain and they they noticed that children where father was absent, where there was parental deprivation, it actually changed the, the neurophysiological, biological makeup of the brain, and those kids were more prone to anger and to deviant behavior. And, and so what they found out was that fathers who are absent provokes children to anger, right? Right? So on one side, you've got no approval, just condemnation. On the other side, you have no approval, just scary silence. And on either end of that, a child is not built up. A child is not instructed. Now, I got to stop here for a second too, because some of you, you could be listening to this because you're like in a single parent home uh, and, and you're listening to this. Maybe dad is gone and you just think, okay, this is terrible. I'm just condemned. I mean, there's research, there's the Bible, there's all this stuff. I'm just, I'm just pinned down. Now what do I do? And that's just not true. In Redemption Church, there are multiple leaders, multiple pastors who come from divorced homes meaning that the grace of God is sufficient. There is not one thing that God cannot redeem or repair, and God's grace abounds even in the darkest and saddest situations. So don't think um, that your life or your situation is too far gone that God cannot redeem. So if you're listening to this as a dad, you're like, okay, I can't be too close, and I can't be too far, so what am I supposed to do? Um, Paul, at the time when he's speaking, he's speaking into a culture where fathers abuse their authority in horrible ways, in horrible ways. And I think he's also speaking to our culture where, in large part, fathers kind of shirk their responsibility with their kids. And he's saying, Dad, it's your responsibility to educate and teach your children. In our Western culture, the picture is that dad goes to work, dad pays the bills, mom, you raise the kids. And Paul's saying, no, dads, you need to teach your kids everything that they need to know about life. You teach your kids what they need to know about God. You teach your kids what they need to know about how to navigate life. That's your role. Paul's saying God gave you a much bigger role than just simply paying the bills. Bring them up in the admonition of the Lord. It means that you teach your kids how to think through decisions so that they don't end up just doing the right things, but they end up being able to come to the right choices in their life. As a child gets older, your parenting becomes less commanding and more counseling. As your child gets older and matures, you move from being the decider for them to an advisor of them. The whole book of Proverbs was written by a father to his son, and it's a book that was used by a nation of how they should give instruction to their child, and there's very few commands in Proverbs. There's a ton of principles on how you make wise decisions. It's a father saying, look, this is how the world thinks about sexuality. This is how the world thinks about money. And this is how you are to think about it. And this is how you are to engage and take action because of these biblical principles. Dads, you get to teach your kids how to make good decisions. Don't just make all the decisions for them. Train them, equip them so that they can make good decisions for themselves. Don't just say, hey, do the right thing. Because let me just tell you from from my experience as a pastor of kids who are in college and post-college, it just doesn't work once they leave Redemption Church. It doesn't work once they leave home. 
What works is that you've helped them learn how to make good choices, that you've actually taught them why, not just what. Men, men we, need, we need our families to know that we are under the authority of God. Your family needs to know that dad is submitted to Christ, that dad doesn't call all the shots because dad, or dad's life is run by God. And if you can breathe that into your families, if you can breathe it into your kids, it will go a long way in rooting your kids into what will sustain them over the course of their life. Show them what it means to be a, a man under the authority of God. I, I am a man, I, I need to provide, I need to protect, I, I need to lead, but everyone in the house should know that God leads me, God is the one who provides for us, God is the one who protects us. And, and, and then lastly, men, if you want your kids to learn how to honor their parents, you better show them by the way that you honor their mother. To, to the degree to which you honor her, you are teaching your children how to honor her and you. Because when you honor her, they will honor her, and they will honor you for the way that you honored her. Raise them up by the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline means training, meaning you show them how to do things. The, the word instruction, it comes from two words, mind and place, meaning as a father, I'm putting things in my children's mind that's not yet there. It's this broad range of, of advising. I'm, I'm speaking into lives. I'm walking alongside with them. And as you're going through life, you're giving them the things that they don't know how to do yet. I'm giving advice that specifically applies to their situation, to their context. And the way that I figure that out is through questions. I engage when, with compassionate curiosity. Hey, what's going on? What, how does that make you feel? What are, the, what are the situations in school? What are situations in life? Help me to understand what it is that you're going through. Help me to understand the different scenarios and the relational dynamics that are a part of your life. Okay, so lastly, why does a text like this scare us? Like, I, I was studying for this and it was kind of freaking me out. If you're a kid, you listen, you're like, obey or else. Like, that scares us. A parent, you're like, hey, don't screw up your kids. Or, There's fear in this. So how do we find the grace for when we fail in these roles? Because there are children in the room that have disobeyed and dishonored their parents and have wandered from wisdom. By the way, if you are a parent of one of those children, I want to encourage you, don't you dare stop praying for them. I stand here as a product of faithful prayers from my parents who prayed for their wayward son. But the reality is there are children in here you've disobeyed, you've dishonored, and you've wandered from wisdom. There are parents in here, you, you, you're haunted by either your absence in your children's lives or, or by the insane and unreasonable pressure that have driven a wedge between you and your kids. So how do we find hope and peace and grace for this? Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Parents, bring your children up in the instruction of the Lord. In the Lord is the glue that holds all of this together. In the Lord isn't just a good idea. It's not just a tagline. God is saying there's a bigger spiritual reality that's going on in our lives. That's really what the book of Ephesians is all about. Paul has taken us through this miracle to get us to these principles that we use in our relationships. The grace of God found you and me when we were dead in our sins, and the grace and mercy of God brought us back to life in the person of Jesus Christ. He put us in a family and we are called to be imitators of Jesus as dearly beloved sons and daughters. 
And while it's true that healthy family structure where kids obey and honor and fathers and encourage and don't provoke, that leads to a good life that is ultimately a shallow and temporary goal. In the Lord is what sets us apart. Living for the fame of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit is what shifts us from just morality or making good choices to something that is eternally beautiful. By our love for one another, by our laying our lives down for one another, we prove that we are sons and daughters of God and we make him known to a watching world and we take our place in our role of God's restoring of all things, including families. And when we fail in these roles... And we will. We remember that Jesus Christ, who made all things and who holds all authority, loves me. And in Genesis chapter 1, the very first family, one brother killed another. So if you think your family is dysfunctional, it's been that way from the start. Welcome to humanity. We are all far from what we should be. And that does break our hearts. And we do weep about it. But we are not crushed by it. Because we know that while we are failures and broken, which is where our faith starts, right? We're admitting that we're broken and we can't fix ourselves. Well, while we were in that position, while we were in that place, the perfect father sent his perfect son who obeyed and honored his father and out of love submitted to him and absorbed the wrath of his father that was due us because of our rebellion, because of our treason and stood in our place at the cross and our sin and our shame and our failure was buried with him. And as Jesus rose to new life, we who believe rise to new life to live empowered so that we can joyfully live as sons and daughters who obey and honor our heavenly father in all things and enjoy him forever in the Lord is the key. Where does my hope and my peace come from? I am a child under the Lord. I am a parent under the Lord, so I trust in him, and I obey his commands, and I live in his commands, knowing that they are wise, and when I do, I will flourish, because he rules over all things, and he loves me. That's where my hope is found. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, it's always um, incredibly relevant. And God, it is um, intensely powerful and practical in our lives. Father, I pray that we would find freedom in it. Um, I pray, Father, that we would, we would know the grace in it. Father, I pray that those of us who are sons and daughters, God, um, would be thankful for what you have done in our lives. God, I pray for those of us who have the high calling of parent, God, would be found faithful in the role that you've given us. Father, we love you. I thank you, Jesus, for the work that you have done and what you're doing. And it's in your name we pray, amen.